How are you doing, man? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Thank you for doing this for us. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I read the book a little bit. The when when we talked, uh, I ordered the book, <laughs> and it came the next okay. day. So um, I I just read a little bit of it, uh, but I read uh, Daniel Messler. He made a summary of your book. Uh, I think it's on your page too, on your LinkedIn profile. I I was reading yep. through it. I said, yeah, he he's on point. And uh, as a fantastic myself and Sunny here, it, we both resonated with what exactly you talked about uh, because it, it's something which we all do in our day-to-day careers like day jobs and mm-hmm. uh, it just seems very <laughs> encouraging that uh, a person like yourself actually wrote a book on it and anyone who has a couple of bucks to spare can actually read about it and then implement those methodologies right away so it's just it's just something which i enjoyed reading uh, just a little bit i read i have an entire weekend to read that so yeah but. i just kind of seen seen the need from it from teaching it at, at the college and then people over the years wanting to get into pen testing that would talk to me and just based on that experience that's you know what was the reason for me to write the book because that was that started out as a a lecture the first day of class each semester and then some of the other professors at the college asked me to come give that talk for their students and then by like november 2018 it turned into a conference talk at besides dfw yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. and you're pretty active in B-Size DFW, right? Yeah, ever since 2018, I've been speaking or doing workshops there. Oh, really? Wow. I wanted to get into that, but COVID hit mad, so <laughs> they they stopped conducting, um, you know, in-person uh, meetings. Yeah, a lot of the, the, the good cons, I guess, just sort of went virtual, which are all right, but it's not the same, right? It is definitely not the same, but, but during the pandemic, I... I capitalized on it. I submitted to a bunch of different conferences. And like last year, I spoke and did workshops at 28 different conferences. Yeah. And, wow. and some of those I spoke and did workshops. Some of them I did two workshops and some of them I did two talks. So. Wow. <laughs> wow. Fun time. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, you know, once you give it a talk and you give it over again, it's really not that bad. So that's, yeah. this is the stuff I do in my free time. You know, that <laughs> conference, virtual conferences and meetups and stuff. So at, at the moment you are, you're, so you're, you wear a bunch of hats. You are an author and um, you, you are instructor at INE. For those who don't know, INE is a platform where you can learn about cybersecurity and there's a bunch of labs and everything involved in that. Actually, former instructor. Former instructor, really? Yeah. I went yeah, back yeah. To, to US Bank working for them as a senior cloud pen tester. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Well, that's pretty cool. So my teaching efforts are all on my own and the conference stuff and, and, and that sort of thing. It kind of gives me a little more control over where I can do training at and stuff. Because, mm-hmm. you know, working at a company like I&E, paid conference training could be a conflict of interest. And I was having people asking me to do paid conference training. I can see that. Yeah. That would make sense. And you did a boot camp over there, right, on INE? Uh, yes. Yeah, I did a cloud mm-hmm. pen testing boot camp, which was based on Azure. And then I also did like a a reconnaissance and manual vulnerability detection boot camp for them there. Nice. Nice. Perfect. Well, just for introduction, I'm Shubham, as you know, I reached out to you on LinkedIn. Uh, this mm-hmm. is my good friend, Sunny. He's also the co-host uh, of this podcast. Uh, he's based out of... UK and I'm based out okay. of Dallas. 
Um, oh, okay. You're local. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm right over here. I'm, I'm actually yeah. live in Cedar Hill, so that, you probably you know have to check is. out Dallas Hackers Association if you haven't yet. I haven't, but I can. I check their meetings on Meetup every single mm-hmm. time, and uh, they post it over there. But I, I want to go ahead and attend one of these before I leave Dallas. I'm moving to Austin soon, so. Um, but okay. I want to go ahead and get engaged in the community more and more. <laughs> yeah. So they got Dallas. Mm-hmm. They got Austin Hackers in Austin, which is actually the inspiration for Dallas Hackers Association. Oh, really? Yep. Well, I'm going to the parent family then. <laughs> yeah, HD, HD Moore attends that one too. He's a regular. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so you got to figure probably some of the brightest minds in Texas are in the Austin area. So I've never been to it. I had the opportunity to go once. I was down there for speaking at B-Sides Austin, and I was just tired at the end of the day. didn't feel like going, but definitely want to check it out sometime isn't hd more the one who created metasplite yes oh okay that's the same one. Oh wow yep same one yeah before they acquired rapid 7 yeah yep nice that is cool well i'll definitely check it out yeah but tell me tell me about your book man i'm, I'm super interested to know and those who don't know um philip um, has wrote, written a book the pentasa blueprint it's very renowned in the InfoSec community. Um, a lot of people have read it. Great reviews on Amazon. Um, I just want to know from the author himself uh, to see what the uh, what the thought process behind it was. What is something which you highlighted in it, which was not discussed beforehand, and kind of get to know from an author perspective before I read the book, uh, so that I don't develop any biases. I wanted to know firsthand on how this works yeah. out. So. Tell me everything what you know and what you want to discuss about this book. We're super excited. So yeah. Part of the reason writing this book and part of the reason I got into teaching to begin with, before I started teaching, I'd run into people at different local meetups that were interested in becoming OSCPs and they would ask me study tips. So I would share different resources that I thought were valuable and give advice. And then I started teaching in January of 2018. So I was involved more with doing more mentoring, uh, trying to help more people get into pen testing. So based on my experience and my experience in helping others, I saw the need for a book that shares what you need to know before you become a pen tester. Because there's lots of awesome books out there on pen testing, but you know you may pick up the book and you, and you don't realize, okay, I need to learn basic networking. I need to know the operating systems and all this. So part of the goal of this book is to you know tell the prerequisites because this is not a book that is going to teach someone to be a pen tester it's going to share the resources and telling you what you need to know when you start that journey learning to be a pen tester right right is there a methodology which you adopt because uh, i know every pen tester has their own methodology when they attack a system or they emulate an adversary but it's something which you emphasize in your book for the new newcomers like hey adopt this methodology it works yeah, the penetration testing execution standard, I think, is a good one because you had pe- people to help create that, like uh, Dave Kennedy, Chris Nickerson from Lars. Uh, you had dark operator Carlos Perez. Uh, there was also Joseph McRae that used to be pretty active in the community. And a lot of well-known people that, you know, are some of the best in the industry help create this methodology. Nice. The penetration framework. Yeah, that's what I like about that framework. Is it's it's almost it's vendor neutral. It's created by people with a vested interest in creating something that's a bit more standard, rather than one company coming out with this is the way you do it, and then you just sort of follow it, right? 
Yeah. Because mm-hmm. just like there's people that create YouTube videos and stuff on how to become an ethical hacker or pen tester that have no experience in that area, you know, you, people that are new are hoping that they know what they're doing and, and they don't always do it. But that's the reason I like PTES at a penetration testing execution standard is some of these people are some of the best in the industry. Also, uh, Chris Gates, Carnal, Carnal Ownage was also one of the writers of that. I mean, it's a, a who's who of offensive cybersecurity of the writers yeah. of that. Right, absolutely. I get asked this question a lot uh, that how do I get started in, uh, well, first of all, I get asked how do I get started in InfoSec and then they know what I do for a living. How do I get started in what you do uh, that is red teaming or pen testing? I said, okay, where do I begin, right? <laughs> where do I begin to tell you what you need to know? And I think your book summarizes that in a very um, you know detailed manner, um, so to speak, as to where to go. And this, th- you took this inspiration from a lot of these talks which you attended to um, and these conferences and people constantly asking you the same question. Mm-hmm. And that's when you took the inspiration that, hey, let's create a standard on how this works and you just adopted that. Is that what was yes, the mindset that, behind it? That That's a good good analogy. And part of what happened too is I, as I gave this talk, and it's one of the things too, I was on the, the uh, review board for B-Sides DFW last year and we're right. picking talks. They were saying one of the check marks was was this talk giving some given somewhere before and i said you can't eliminate talks have been given somewhere else yeah if they haven't been given if it's been given here that's one thing but you know you don't realize how many people hadn't heard the talk until you you know i gave that the talk several places and just about everywhere i went there was always someone that had never heard of it and what happened as i gave that talk the way it evolved someone would ask certain questions at a conference during the q a portion and I would kind of remember to add that to the talk later on. So this talk that, you know, by the time I wrote the book, these things I learned along the way in conferences that people needed to know, I adapted the the content for the book based on that. Nice. Nice. That's, that's awesome. Is there something which you would say, um, and you don't need to go deep inside the book, but... Yeah. Over level only, like super super level. Uh, just wanted to know what what you think about uh, what you can tell the readers and listeners about how to get into infosec first. Is it because um, I know a lot of people go behind what's uh, high paying as well as what's sexy <laughs> at the moment, um, and they just run for that. Two years, mm-hmm. three years into that, they just realize they're not cut out for it. They just ran for it for the money or for the fame, but after that. It's just something which they never wanted to do, and they have this kind of burnout syndrome. But something which you would want to encourage folks to know in this kind of atmosphere where you can get a job in whatever field you want, uh, but you really have to think through it. Uh, you just can't jump in and create a fix the void. Yeah, I think what the best advice or the advice I like to give people is find something you like, because if it's something you're passionate about, then you're you're going to put in the time and effort to get good at it, you know, because as we all know, if you're wanting to be a good pen tester, you just don't work nine to five and turn it off. You've got to study and constantly learn to, to get better. So I, I'd say pick something you like, something you're passionate about. And it doesn't hurt if you change, if you change areas of security, because as you all know, you know, you work as on firewalls for a while, that's going to help you as a pen tester. You're going to understand yeah. firewalls better. 
So the, the time you spend in certain areas is not wasted. You can use it somewhere else. But I would say pick an area that you're interested in, something you're passionate about. You know, find something that's fun because, you know, this is not an easy field. I don't think really there's any real easy area of cybersecurity. So you want to pick something you like so you can put in that time and effort to learn it. Right. Yeah, I guess there's like this is one of the few things that you can do where there's not one set path to follow to get into, right? It's not like becoming a doctor where it's very sort of laid out the route that you're going to take to get there. With this, it's it's almost to your benefit to have come from a slightly different place, whether you start off as a, a sysadmin, whether you start off as a web developer or, or whatever. Uh, I think this is, well, that's what I like about pen testing. It's one of the cool things where you can start from wherever and plot a path that works for you to get into it. And so what what are the fields do you think, uh, except pen testing, which are very upcoming and probably something which is future proof? Um, anything which comes off in your mind, you know, you've been browsing through Twitter or LinkedIn, and it's like, hey, I'd never heard about this field or this uh, branch of security. Uh, it's very up and coming. I see five jobs already listed in the Dallas area, whatever area. What is something that like that do you think someone new should jump into? Yeah, there's a couple areas that are that are kind of not brand new, but there's not a lot of people in it. The first one I'd say is cloud cloud security because you know a lot of companies were already going to the cloud or at least a hybrid model. Yeah. And you know the pandemic it kind of accelerated that. So I'd say if someone's getting in, you know, maybe get in if cloud security could be cloud pen testing, you know, you can move over to cloud pen testing later on but you know there's a lot of veterans in the field that hadn't taken the time that are in security that hadn't taken the time to to learn cloud so i think that's a good one uh you know i'm not really sure if it's going to be future proof but i can imagine cloud's going to be around some some evolution of it's going to be around probably from now on uh like some of the ics related stuff there's not a lot of people in that area that understand it well yeah so like ics ot maybe even some of the hardware hacking because you don't see a lot of people that know that. And I don't uh, actually. <laughs> yeah. People don't really know they're specialized in it. And sometimes it may not be as difficult as you think, because there's a group in Dallas that used to meet up quarterly before the pandemic. It was called O day all day. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. like a researcher event. People got together and a couple of them, they did like hacking, you know, different hardware devices. I think one time they, they had like some police body cams that they were hacking and some different routers and stuff. And sometimes you find that, okay, there's this hardware aspect, but you don't realize that all these things are managed through a web interface. So yeah. sometimes they're running some lightweight web application or, or web application server or web server like BusyBox that may be very vulnerable. And so that's a way they were finding a lot of the vulnerabilities through that. So you're able to take those skills there and, and use them like in hardware hacking, IoT and ICS and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think IoT is definitely a big one, um, especially with there being so many different vendors of it as well. It's not just like your your, your main ones uh, from you know Amazon and, and those sort of players. Uh, there's like your random weird bits of IoT that people buy, and with everything pretty much already gone smart, but everything continuing to go smart, you know, home appliances. Um, I think that's definitely going to be a big one where. You can, dig into exactly what an IoT device on your home network's doing and where it's sending data and how it's you know, how it works. And like I said, using those sort of vulnerable lightweight web apps in the background to manage things that most times you're not even aware of because with IoT devices you 
plug it in, connect it to your network, and away you go, right? You don't really think about, or at least outside of our world, people don't really think yeah. about what what's going on behind the behind the scenes. Yeah, and, and you mentioned that too, the, pos- the possibilities for vulnerabilities, because, you know, companies are trying to make money, they don't have security in mind, and later on a company gets breached, they maybe go back and they try to fix that. But a lot of cases, a lot of hard-coded passwords, just like some of the IoT devices, it might have been some of the webcams that were or security cameras that were coming out of China at one point that had hard-coded credentials in the camera, and those got leaked. And so yeah. that's, yeah, so all those type of opportunities out there. Wasn't there a reverse shell uh, detected on uh, TCL, TCL TVs? If you had one of those TVs, I don't remember the name of the TVs. There was this guy from the company Sakura Samurai. He's on. He's okay. very famous on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, he found a reverse shell on the debug platform of TCL TVs. Okay. Uh, he just turned it on, connected to the internet, um, and then just enabled the debug mode, caught the reverse shell on his laptop, and he was able to exploit it. Uh, he didn't go to the root, but he was still able mm-hmm. to exploit it. Um, so, And then he reported it. Uh, they fixed the bug, but how many of those TVs are still outside, which cannot yeah. be fixed, you know? Uh, TVs is fine you, when you can get barely anything out of it, but it's still a vulnerability. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's still on your network, right? I think it depends on on who you are. Like for us, that'd be a pretty bad thing because most of us have probably got some pretty cool kit on our home networks where your average home user probably doesn't care, and that's, that's part of the issue. They yeah. don't care. Um, and why should they? I mean, at the end of the day, you go out, you buy a TV for a different purpose to... Yeah thinking about security vulnerabilities. You don't go thinking about security vulnerabilities, you think about the price tag, right? And that's kind of where they yep. that's kind of where they win is it's a nice, cheap, smart TV and it does the job. Yeah, lack of the ed- security education, like they say, ignorance is bliss. So they don't <laughs> yeah. know any better, they're hooking up everything and <laughs> yeah, exactly. they get breached, they have no clue that it happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and they won't ever detect it because again, why yeah. would they? <laughs> no, yeah. Yep. I think that's the inherent flaw um, that humans themselves don't think twice about security until it actually happens. And I think it's been going on way too long, ever since the um, Empire of Troy, when they sent out the Trojan horse, they didn't think twice about looking into it, and then the Empire actually collapsed because of that. So I think it's... I mean, like, it keeps our jobs. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm, I'm happy for that. But it's just something which is needs to be done again and again. Like you update your folks at off company about password policies, about phishing emails. You just have to be more awareness driven instead of um, work driven. I agree. And one of the things I think a lot of companies fall short on is in the offensive cybersecurity area. Because I worked for a large global company. And it was interesting how many people didn't know the difference between a red team engagement, a penetration test, a web app pen test, or a vulnerability scan. They called everything red teaming. So they did not understand. <laughs> red team all the things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's kind of funny because one of the guys that was a director there, he he didn't understand it, but he would not, you know, if you don't understand things, learn. Let your people guide you and help you out or, you know, research this stuff. But he, there was an SAP application that he had a company, this is after I left, had a company come in to do a red team operation on an SAP app. 
Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> pen test app. It's <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that's what he told his folks that's, that there is. That's a what he did. Oh, he he hired a consulting company. Come in, I told him. I said, "No, we need to do an authenticated web app or authenticated application test against this." You know, <laughs> you're red teaming. You're testing the environment around it where this is contained. You don't yeah. want to do a red team SAP test, and that's what he did. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, dude. <laughs> that as well as you know, application test is another keyword which people don't understand the difference. Uh, application test is just, you know, burp scan. Uh, you know, you have your sophisticated vendor scans. And then you do the pen test just like, you know, bug bounty hunters do it. That's what it mm-hmm. is. Uh doesn't matter if it is on the cloud or whatever it is. You're still using the same tools. Um, yeah. But it yeah, turns out to be some so. other terminology, which is an actual concept. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's super hard to understand. I'm so, very familiar um, Philip, here's a question for you. What are some of the common um, misconceptions you get from newbies trying to join pen testing or looking at getting into pen testing? What's some of the the, the common um, myths that you that you tend to come across? Yeah, this is kind of interesting because I've got a a coworker that had went through the OSCP certification, and when he started, it was a lot doing pen tests. It was a lot different than what he expected because, in my opinion, the OSCP is pen testing the way a boutique pen test firm does. They're looking for, or even like on a red team engagement, although you're not trying to be quiet on the OSCP, but going in, finding things that could be exploited and breached. As a pen tester, you're listing all that. So a lot of people don't realize that, yeah, you're going to have to list some of these SSL, TLS vulnerabilities, which are boring to validate. And the report writing, some people don't realize the report. They think it's just all a bunch of Mr. Robot hacking (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's why so many people got into it. I think if a lot of people realized what it really was, you'd have people probably going into other areas of cybersecurity, I think. Yeah. Sure. That show, man, it just lies. <laughs> that, that doesn't, the world doesn't work like that, people. No. This is not Mr. Now, if you're a, If you're part of a nation state or organized hacking group or something like that, yeah, yeah. but as a pen tester, it's... A one-man nation state. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I did I like so about that show that, that they use legit tools that we actually use yes. in the industry. Yeah. That I liked. That's the reason I started watching it. I was like, okay, yeah. we, can, we, we, we can put up with this. This is cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and when There's Elliot, no cinema sense. Yeah. And when <laughs> Elliot was social engineering them or whatever, and he gave his name and he told him his Dave Kennedy, you know, just the yeah. different references to the industry is what made yes. me love it. Yeah, <laughs> there is some very cool stuff in it. Some very cool. So let's tell my wife, "Hey, Dave Kennedy, I know who that guy is." You know. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's a, it's a good show. Doesn't most of show. the you know the industry pundits um, in infosec worked on that show to give um, you know legitimate um, keywords or dialogues or things like that. Yeah, yeah, Dave Kennedy was one of the ones that was a technical advisor. I'm not sure who else, but yeah, but they had they had a panel of technical advisors that helped them come up with different exploits and attack vectors. Um, someone wrote a post on Medium about so do you remember the episode they did the HSM hack where they stole yeah. the keys. Mm-hmm. The, that that was one of them where they had like a panel of technical advisors come up with hypothetically if you're going to do this, this is everything you need access to, and then went and did the episode, which is what makes it so cool. Yeah. That's one of the things I think for for security awareness, the average user needs to watch that show 
just to see what's <laughs> possible, you know, because, you know, they may find a USB stick out somewhere. And that's, that's also this funny too. When you work as a pen tester, you view the world through a different lens because, yeah. you know, you're, you're at an airport, you see a USB stick laying on the ground. I mean, what's the first thing you think? There's something malicious <laughs> on there. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, but even, first thing which that, I see is like, what could be? Yeah. Hmm. Did I just stop the entire country to be not hacked? Uh, did I just save the world? If yeah. I dump this USB stick in trash can, I'll put it in water. Yeah, that's one of the things. I'm not the first one to say it, but in my book, it's <laughs> like the the hacker mindset. That's kind of what I, I talk about when you see how things can be exploited. And and then you, know, you do this for a while, it becomes second nature. You see things and you look at things different. You, yeah. you see those risks because you know what the risks are from those vulnerabilities. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why that's why it makes our jobs much easier. <laughs> Once you are in it for a long time, uh, so you really know by just looking at it that this is not working just the way it is supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, um, so just just carrying on with the the stuff about sort of you know, new people coming into the industry. One of the things I see quite often, uh, especially just just go on Reddit and you'll see it all over the place. Um, People who download Kali Linux and then try to learn pen testing. Um, how do you how do you approach that? I don't think Kali Linux is a bad place to start, but I really think people learn more if you download Ubuntu and install the tools individually. Run yep. into you know some of the some of the uh, dependencies because sometimes things just don't work right, and sometimes you know that's one of the reasons I would have like a a Kali Linux VM or a Parrot OS VM because sometimes there's certain tools that you just it's just really difficult or you can't get installed on other distributions. So I think one of the best things and someone that I kind of mentor just recently got a job as a uh, security engineer for a company and she had like an Ubuntu VM to work with. And so she had to go install the tools in individually. So it's a good learning experience because one of the things Mm. I think people are jumping right into pen testing without having the tech background, knowing how to build things is important. So, I mean, even if you're just, building a web server on your own and running Apache web server and those sort of things is, is very valuable. Sure. I guess it's a, it's, it's the process of learning by fixing, right? Yeah. I had a manager of my very first pen test job. One of the things he was big on is he wasn't telling us to take, you know, offensive security courses or SANS courses. He taught us to build things. He said, go build something, you know, that was his, his method to learn. And, for me, that's kind of where I kind of started before I got into pen testing. When I was a sysadmin, I used to build, I had a home lab. I used to do web design on the side and I hosted my customers' websites at home. I had an Apache web server running a Red Hat Linux before it, you know, when you could get Red Hat Linux for free before it became commercial. Commercial. And so, yeah. And so I also hosted like DNS. I had DNS set up at home and I had like five static IP addresses and, and I would set up, you know, the DNS, even though I may not have enough IP addresses, setting all that up, learning how that works. So once I became a pen tester and I had a shell to a Linux box running Apache web server, then I was kind of familiar with the, the uh, directory structure. Sure. You yeah. kind of need a way around, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's pretty valuable um, because you're right. Most people just look at the certifications as... Um, blueprint for success and money in this field you get this cert you're guaranteed the job Um, but sure you can get the job 
but what happens after right that's when your true character comes up that we and your true training mm-hmm. like in your case philip when you went ahead and created a home lab you set up the firewall you set up you know your um, security onion and all these fancy things to just analyze certain things and pen test you did it already and you can imp- apply that to your job but that no certification will teach you that kind of stuff they just true. teach you what how to test it and then the real test comes when you're doing a job <laughs> yeah the certifications are great for getting your foot in the door but one of the bad things about the certifications too is you may be oscp certified but say like if you say if you're doing another job you're not working in pen testing and you don't touch those skills in two or three years you're going to go back and learn a lot of things over so when you really look yeah. at the certifications it's kind of a point in time skill mm-hmm. test because what you did that time and you may be doing this as a regular job but some of the things maybe you did on the oscp you don't do on a daily basis and you get kind of rusty so yeah. You know, the certification is one of the things to look at is, you know, that is the skill set you had at that time. But if several years pass and you're not using it, then there's a good chance yep. you're not at that level anymore. Yeah. The, the technical rust sets in quick. That's what I found. Because yeah. uh, I started my IT career uh, working in the IDAM team, so identity access management, Windows servers, uh, Active Directory, that sort of stuff. And part of that role was being good at PowerShell, knowing how knowing your way around PowerShell and, and how to use it to just get things done quickly. So I spent a pretty decent amount of time learning PowerShell and then left that role, went to another internal team doing something still in IT but different, not using PowerShell. And uh, the moment I realised that my PowerShell skills were like non-existent was when I thought, oh, I can find we had we had to look for a particular server so it's really cool nice and easy powershell one liner just search for this by uh by computer name right so started searching and it just the command wasn't working i was i have no idea like how to fix this this is just shit uh (laughs) that's when it dawns on you that uh yeah i need to go back and learn some stuff um so yeah i think the technical rust sets in pretty quick if you don't keep on top of whatever it is you've done but I guess on that point, how do you how do you uh, get the people that you're mentoring to stay on top of their skills? How do you get them to keep their skills sharp? Yeah, one of the things I, I recommend is as you're you know because you're going along your your uh, resources like Hack the Box are really good. So I yeah. recommend that people you know continue doing Hack the Box and like CTFs and stuff because you know CTFs aren't always realistic in some of the hack the box things you run into you may not see in the real world but it's some cases it's more difficult but if you keep up that practice you can keep your your skill sharp because i know some people that are blue teamers that don't work in pen testing that have developed pretty good skills you know you know preparing for the oscp or doing like hack the box so i think those are the things you got to keep getting practice with the hacking part and i think something else too that people need to realize too is and and don't discourage anyone from trying to be the best they can everything is you can't be a ninja on every single thing and so i think sometimes when you want to specialize you look at people like you know some of the guys from Spectrops. you know they they specialize in red teaming so you're not seeing them do a lot of web stuff but they're doing a lot of really cool active directory stuff so i think people have to look at that when they're saying i'm not good you got to stop and realize okay these people are really good at certain things and you look at nahamsek from hacker one you know he's a really good yeah. web hacker but this is what he's doing he's not an active directory person. So you look at those people and they specialize. 
So when you're getting started, get out there and see what interests you the most. And then you might pick something to specialize in. That's also like Tiberius. You know, Tiberius yeah, yeah. started out doing infrastructure and web app, but then he got more interested in web app and that's what he's he's turned his interest to. And so when you specialize like that, you can get a lot better at that specific skill. Sure. And yeah. regardless of that, it even if it if you specialize in infrastructure, you can always make an entire career out of it. Um, doesn't matter what, what you do in infrastructure. If it is just Active Directory, man, just name that you don't know Active Directory in and out. That's all you do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah then you could on the spot hire is it's no problem because you can prove it, right? Everything is Active Directory and you are the only one guy in the company who knows how to do this kind of work. So yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a shortage for niche. Yeah, that's one of the most critical areas. So yeah, you specialize in that. If you want to get into red team, understanding Active Directory is really helpful there. And that's one of the things that people can specialize there. If you're doing infrastructure pen tests, then something like, uh, you know, red teaming is a good pivot from there. So, you know, another specialization, because not everyone does the same thing all the time. So you may be doing red teaming mm -hmm. and infrastructure, but. Yeah, and even at in my company, we don't, uh, Nexus InfoSec is my company, we don't hire people, um, like whenever we are asking for consultants to work for us, uh, the 1099s, we don't actually hire them on certifications. That's not even in our job description. We actually ask them, what labs have you done in past 12 months, six months, and past month? Um, give a detailed report in the interview. That's what I asked them in the interview, what have you done? Because I've done those. And then I expect the same answer or something better. And if they don't come short, they come short on it. Uh, it's just like, no, you didn't really do this. Uh, how did you tackle this problem? Because <laughs> I had the problem and I had to Google for four hours. That's a great way of doing things, especially you're going to find people, you know, because like I mentioned, you know, someone got their OSCP three years ago. If they're not keeping up the studying, they're going to lose, lose it. So that's a good way of doing things. You know, it just goes to show that, you know, and a lot of companies don't know how to vet people. If you got a company that maybe you've got one pen tester on the team, but the person managing that team only knows blue team. So then you're going to have to, you're going to have a difficult time vetting those people coming in if you don't have someone internally that knows that. Right, right, absolutely. And you believe that, um, do you think that if in such situations, um, is it worth taking a shot at a person um, who don't have experience in certain aspect of cybersecurity, but they want to get a job in it? Is it worth taking a shot? What do you see as the criteria that, hey, this guy did this before? Um, not the same thing, not the pen testing he was in some kind of incident response team or whatever team, you know, forensics but he wants to get into pen testing. What do you see as a person in the person uh, to give him a shot? That is if you yeah, give a just, shot. I think one of the things is, is seeing their passion. And that's one of the things, fortunately for me, when I got my first pen test job, I was, I was about to get laid off from my job of 14 years. I worked in AppSec. I'd run vulnerability scanners, but I didn't know how to hack. And I knew that was something I had to learn. But the guy that was the hiring manager saw that I had a home lab and all the self-study and things that I did. He saw his interest in it. So if I see someone's passionate, willing to learn, and I see they've got like a base level, see that they're actually putting some effort. You know, there's a lot of people, I want to be a pen tester, but if you're not doing hack the box, if you're not doing any kind of courses and you don't have to do any of the expensive courses, you could be doing Udemy courses. Mm. You know, you could be, you know, working on hack the box, try hack me. As long as I see that they can prove effort that they're trying to learn, then I, I would take a chance because you could take someone 
that you're going to hire that may have a certification that they're stagnant and they're not going to try any harder to learn anything else, then it's better to take someone new that's that's hungry and passionate and wanting to learn. Yeah, I guess that hands-on assessment uh, gives you a chance to just see their thought process as well, right? And that goes back to the whole hacker mindset. It's watching when someone gets stuck in mm-hmm. in a assessment scenario and then watching how they work things out and get themselves out of that rabbit hole that they're stuck in or how they go and find more information because they've reached the end of what they know about, you know, the service running on a port or whatever the assessment scenario is. Um, I think that's probably the most valuable uh, way of assessing someone. That's that's great advice there too because I had a friend that uh, was an that's an ATM pen tester, and when he went through the interview, there was a lot of things he didn't know about ATM pen testing, but he knew some stuff about hardware hacking. He knew, you know, network, you know, operating system hacking operating systems and wireless and all that. So he was able to describe, say, yeah, I don't know how to do that, but this is the way I'd approach it. And he got the job because I see how he thought through it and know that he could figure it out if he's put in that situation. Yeah. And I guess that also touched on the idea that no one knows everything and you don't need to know everything. You just need to know enough to get yourself started. And then the rest you can sort of find out as you go along, right? You sort of research and learn and add to your sort of add to your notes and, and just sort of keep keep yourself on top of all the new stuff you come across. And I think that's a pretty important aspect of pen testing is being comfortable with not knowing everything. Because uh, I think there's it can sometimes seem like there's an expectation that you need to know everything there is to know. Um, and I, I don't think that's very helpful to someone who's perhaps new. Um, I mean, you how, how have you sort of come across this in the past? Yeah, one of the things, one of the things though, is people new in the industry, that's probably one of my biggest complaints about the industry is not really giving new people a chance. You know, you take some people that may have a degree, they just finished some courses and people are saying, you know, this is an entry level position and they want you to have two or three years worth of experience. That's not entry level if you have to have experience. So that's some of the things that, that I hate to see there. But one of the things that I think is a big help in that area is networking. You know, now it's kind of, it's been a little more difficult with the pandemic, but you know, if you can't physically go places, then networking with people on LinkedIn and Twitter, because if you get to know someone, you know, if, if I know Sonny and I know you're hiring, I could give you my resume. You could get it to the hiring manager. And whereas if I go through the regular HR process, I go online to the company website through workday or whatever, apply for the job, I may never even get a call. And so I think it's very important for networking because I've seen some people that, that I've helped get their first pen testing jobs or people with no experience at all. And I was able to refer them to someone. And, and same thing with myself. If I need to get another job, I can get one pretty quick because I know a lot of people in the industry and you know, I just keep an eye out or I say, hey, I'm looking for a job and people will will let me know. So I think that's the same thing. You know, when you're starting out, it's there's a little more work to it to build up your network and you don't have that same effect, but after a while you will. I mean, uh, I have people come to me a lot because I was teaching at the college and they were looking for entry-level pen testers and I'd recommend other people I knew because I knew a guy in our local community that just graduated from college. He wanted to be a penetration tester. He had given talks at our local B-Sides conferences and stuff. He was very active in the community and I recommended him and he was able to get a job. So just networking, you know, getting to know people and, and, you know, yeah, I think that's one a big way to overcome some of those difficulties getting in. As far as LinkedIn is concerned, there is one thing which I don't like what people do. 
like some folks have a habit of let's say doing hack the box they are like guru level on hack the box mm -hmm. or they have their home lab set up um, they don't have a habit of marking that as an experience uh, which kind of bothers me because a you dedicated a couple of years or a couple of months or whatever you dedicated your time into it but I don't see that reflected until they submit their resume and I think that's what most recruiters look for in their key search a keyword search if they did anything in relation to these uh, open source applications you know Metasploit things like that or if they did anything in terms of you know Rapid7 or any of the th those applications but if you guys have anything that you did in the home lab mark it as an actual experience um, with the job title saying self-employed <laughs> yeah. and then under that tell me what you wrote because I don't think so a lot of recruiters as well as hiring managers see the job title they see what you actually did at the job and how did you overcome certain challenges yeah it's all experience right it gives you something mm. to talk about in an interview scenario because doing a doing a CTF or a box on hack the box or try hacking or whatever platform you're using um, gives you a chance to use those tools that you're expected to have a familiarity with maybe not inside out if it's a starting position but certainly something you want to you know like you've heard of nmap before so mm. it gives you a chance to talk about a time where you've used that tool and how you used it and what switches you used in the command and what the outputs were uh, it doesn't matter if it wasn't for you know some enterprise pen test that you once did the point is mm -hmm. you know the tool you know how to use it and you know how you know what um, what good output looks like from the tool. Right? Yeah. You know when it's when it's not doing what it's supposed to. Because with any tool, if you if you've never used it before and it's not working, you wouldn't know that unless you've used it before and you know what a good output, what a good result looks like. Um, yeah, particularly with Nmap, for example, you get loads of stuff thrown at you if you're scanning right. multiple hosts, all the ports, for example. So knowing how to pick out what good output looks like I think is is key and you only get that from using the tool and these sort of um, applications or platforms let you do that which I think is pretty um, pretty key in, in an interview scenario because it just gives you an opportunity to talk about stuff yeah that's a good point too because when you're going through the interview you know if they ask you how to use a certain tool or how you perform if you understand the methodology and stuff then that's going to give you a, an advantage because you're some people that that may work somewhere, maybe they're internal pen tester and they're not doing enough of it, or maybe they're not really good at what they're doing. And, you know, you could be someone that's a hobbyist trying to break in. If you understand how to do it, then you're going to have an edge over them. You know, just be able to explain how to do that. And one of some other examples I've heard recently people use that are pretty good too is doing write-ups, you know, either on GitHub yeah. or Medium, do write-ups. I mean, you know, yep. do it like a pen test report of these boxes you're working on, make sure it's retired so you don't get in trouble with the the platform, but write it up like a pen test report, show your steps and show your work, and then you can kind of prove to these hiring managers that you know what you're doing. Yeah, because yeah. at the end of the day, the value of a pen test lies in the report that you, you present and you, you sort of hand back to the client. Um, so I think it, that's pro probably part of the pen testing process that many people don't actually practice. It's all about the tools, and it's all about the cool, sexy stuff on the terminal and, and that sort of stuff. but people rarely sit down and actually practice writing a pen test report with the appropriate screenshots and the appropriate annex and you know the code that you used and, and then do the, the high level remediation stuff you know this is how you're going to fix this because you know going through the OSCP that's not really something 
much focus is given to it. Yeah, you, know, you, you you talk about report writing and you have templates and that sort of stuff, but there isn't really much emphasis on the reporting side of it, which at the end of the day is the, the whole point for pen testing, and that's why you're doing it. So I think definitely writing up boxes that you've done. Um, and a little while ago, I did a, just going back a year ago now, I think, I did a um, blog post uh, with uh, Ed Scotus about getting into pen testing. Uh, and this was off the back of a talk he did uh, a while ago. So I did a blog post follow-up and add some stuff to it. Um, one of the things that we talk about in there is about leveraging CTFs to your advantage. So one part of that being using the tools, like we mentioned, and the other part is practicing writing reports, building up a library of reports, and then when you go to an interview, you take six of your best with you and you say, these are six of my pen test reports, this is the sort of output you can expect from me. And I think that gives you a massive advantage over someone that's just doing the hands-on yeah. lab stuff without doing the written portion of it as well. Yeah, that's great too, because you know what else that does too is it shows your written communication skills as well. So even outside of the pen test report, they know that you're going to be able to send, you know, well-written reports to the people internal or your customers. Yeah. Wouldn't it be yeah. cool if, if in an interview, along with the resume, you bring, you print out five of the hardest hack the box um, boxes, reports, which you have typed yourself and, you know, with the screenshots, everything. And you just present that. And that's your, that's your start of your interview. That'll be super cool. I, I would I would actually want yeah. to do that in my report. That's how I'd assess someone. It's just three days before or a week before the uh, pen test, give them a box, tell them yeah. to go write your report, bring it in, and then talk you through how they did exactly. and how they, you know. I think around. that is such, such a great idea too because I think where we fail in the industry too is, you know, there's a lot of people that are really technical but they're so nervous and they just – crumble under pressure if yeah. you can give them an environment to do a hands-on assessment and then just kind of do a debriefing afterwards them explain what they did i think that's a lot easier because you know interviews have gotten too much to where the interviewer is trying to catch them or trying to be a hard interview you know yeah. and i think too, too many times yeah you're losing out on good talent because some people are just really nervous and they have problems with anxiety and they they're not gonna get through that that interview well and you're missing some talent yeah absolutely you're uh, you losing out on people that perhaps don't maybe have those um skills you know managing under pressure but that's something you can you know, work on with practice uh, the mm -hmm. point is they know how to do the job and then you've got to just refine them and get them comfortable standing up in front of people and, and talking about what they've done um but yeah i think there's definitely value in in the hands-on assessment and moving away from questions that they sort of what I call HR questions you know, tell me about a time when you've done XYZ so, yeah, that's great but who gives a shit show me what you can do if I give you a keyboard and a Parrot or a sort of Cali box and a target or three or four targets how are you going to prioritise what do you see first you know show me your methodology show me what you can do I think there's a much more value in, in assessing someone like that and I've certainly done better under those sort of scenarios, those sort of assessments, the hands-on assessments, where you're like, oh, cool, okay, I know what I know, I can put it into practice and, and show what I can do, rather than trying to have a conversation about things you've done and it's all just talk and you're not actually showing what you can do. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, it's too, too many times that, yeah. 
you could have exploited things several times, but you may not know how to by heart how to do it. You may have notes on how to do that. You can research it and figure it out. And that's a lot more valuable than, you know, with, I mean, it's like saying it, okay, this is the OSCP exam. I mean, you know, you have to actually go and hack something. This is like uh, CEH where you can go in and you just answer questions. That's not really <laughs> going to show you what you know. The, the hands-on assessment is going to better determine who's the best fit for the job. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Do you know that, uh, you know, I know that hacker rank is one of those for, you know, coders who apply for these programming, you know, coding jobs, software engineers. Uh, there needs to be a, a similar website. Do you know any of them, Philip, in your opinion, which does the same job, you assign a particular, you know, box to them and then give them three days to complete it? Oh, actually, one of, one of my for, former employers, I used to work for Point3, and they've oh, got yeah, a platform. Yeah. yeah, they actually, people use them to vet employees with. And actually, when I went to work there, they gave me three different uh, VMs that I had to attack and write up a report on. So there's, I see more people getting into that. It's interesting because like Synac Red Team, they're using yeah. Hack the Box. And so if you went through like the Dante Challenge then you would get further up on the list on the interview. So some people are using that. And I ran across something recently because Rostamouse put his uh, his labs on a new platform. And it's kind of interesting. And they they advertise themselves as a way to uh, to vet potential employees. So, yeah, it's something Is that zero point security. Here. Yeah, zero point security. Yeah, they're they're using a new lab, and the lab lets you kind of set the lab. You know, you can uh, vet possible new employees and stuff on the platform. There's some people are using that. Uh, I had the link up here, but I can't find it. But if you go back and look at any, if you just want reference to it for later, if you go through and look at some of the updates to to Zero Point Security's certified red team operator exam, it's it's improved a lot. They're even got some Splunk usage in it now, and you actually wow. get a Cobalt Strike license to use during the exam. <laughs> nice. And the labs are based per hour, so it's on this other platform. So everyone has their own individual lab. I went through the course before, and it's really good, but it was kind of like the OSCP. You got shared labs. So yeah, someone yeah. goes in and exploits Sucks. something, and it may not work when you come along, or maybe it works, and it's a false sense of security because they did something for it to work for you, and... You know, you can do <laughs> yeah. the full process. Yeah, the number of boxes I did when I was doing my PWK course, and it's like you, you, you've got FTP open, you're like, great, I can log in with anonymous access, perfect. And you go there and you do a quick list directory, and you've got like names of exploits just sitting there. You're like, yeah. oh, okay, cool. Uh, so I, I know what to do now. And then it's difficult to pretend you haven't seen that because in the back of your head, you're like, I just saw juicypotato.exe yeah. sitting there so it's obviously that's what you're going to use and then you try to pretend you haven't seen it it doesn't work you're like great that's fine I'll just do it I applied <laughs> for SpectreOps I think um, long time ago and they used point three Escalate uh, for testing me oh, cool. and literally I even if I wanted to use any of my knowledge I click on the box any of the box inside the lab and it used to, you know, autosave these kind of inputs. Like, for example, you're doing SQL injection on the username field, and you click on it. Literally, there's a drop down of 50 different people trying different things. 
and all and i was like man why do i have to use brains i just click on it and it logs me in um, i didn't go through with that interview it's like man if your testing skills are like this i wonder what you're doing with your <laughs> current thing but that was a long time ago so it's probably yeah. why they probably upgraded escalate but i hope they they don't have shared labs ruins the purpose yeah <laughs> Yeah, I find people are definitely moving away from the shared lab uh, stuff. You know, OCP have got their proving grounds, try hack me and hack the box. I'm pretty sure they've always been, or at least the paid ones have always been um, individual environments. Uh, so glad to see. OFSEC should come up with that um, a test taking interview lab for a price, you know, 10 bucks per applicant. And you register the email and then, yeah, that's it. And yeah. with Offsec, there's a lot of you know credibility associated with it. It's not like any other garage. Yeah, band. yeah. There's a there's a brand name to ride that gives you a certain sense of um, authority. I guess probably the best way of describing it. Right, right. Hmm. Yeah, um, Philip. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to reach out, follow up on this episode, have a chat with you? How can people find you? Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter are the best places. And I'm okay. pretty pretty active in monitoring my my DMs. Do you do a Twitch stream too? Yeah, I but do a Twitch stream, and I actually got a podcast as well. I stream on Tuesdays. Uh, it's the Hacker Maker is the Twitch channel. Oh yeah, I do get notifications every Tuesday. Yeah. So I do. It's it's mostly been AMA. Sometimes I have some different guests on. I may have to have to have you guys on sometime, but it's usually stuff <laughs> around offensive cybersecurity, you know, pen testing, red teaming or bug bounty around that. It was just kind of a way to, you know, I like trying to help people get started and it's just a way to do that. You know, I've had, uh, let's see, Jeremiah Rowe from Synac was on once before. And then I had someone on Daniel from uh, bug crowd. He's one of the triage people that triages the bugs. Yeah. I've kind of watched him through his career when he was getting started in bug bounty so i thought he'd be a good one to have on to show how to get started in bug bounty because when he started out he's like help desk or desktop support and he's finding bugs now and doing real good now he works for for bug crowd That's dude cool. help desk and desktop support is what all of us started off as <laughs> that yeah. is something so common uh you just have to find the right time to get out of that yeah. um yeah it's too inferno. easy to stay it it's too easy to get in that comfort zone and you know what to expect every day i mean that's Kind of yeah. like the job I worked for before I became a pen tester. I worked for the same company for 14 years. I got used to what wow. to expect. I came in every day and I'd work with, you know, I would work with my friends because I'd been working with these people for, you know, some people as long as 14 years, some maybe five to 10 years and knew them real well. So, I mean, it was just kind of comfortable. And, yeah, you and probably, probably see the kids I, grow. <laughs> yeah, I could have. Yeah, it's kind of crazy thinking of that today. One of, one of my former co-workers when I was on the sysadmin team one of her nieces it was just a little girl when I worked there now she's like you know mid-20s or something now wow <laughs> yeah crazy. Time, make you old I find time I find time flies when you're working in IT it's just the years just blend into one blur where it's like yeah. oh, shit, I've been doing this for like six years <laughs> didn't notice yeah it's pretty crazy <laughs> cool we'll have links to all of your social media and to your book in the description for the episode so people Appreciate can definitely it. find you have a chat with you get a copy of your book 
Um, just want to say thank you for taking the time to come on today. Uh, it's been really awesome uh, getting a perspective from someone that's been doing this for a while. Uh, it's always nice to to, to get a, a different input from, from from people who've been in the industry. Um, so yeah, thanks for taking the time to come on. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure.